Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome, Tara. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with us about your career, the buyer journey of of people you're interacting with. We're going to unpack this all. Let's dig into where you are now for people who don't know you or haven't looked at you on LinkedIn quite yet. Where, where are you working these days? What's Swerve? Sure. Hi, Randy. Swerve is a, a mobile um, and customer engagement platform. It's been around for about eight years, started in mobile gaming and realized how to use AI and machine learning to monetize gamers that were mobile. And of course, now we know airlines and banks and Hotels, almost every industry wants to interact with their customers on a mobile device. So um, some fun stuff there. Absolutely. So the the company ultimately shifted from what I've seen, at least in messaging, away from pure gaming. I don't know if you maybe have still still some legacy. So a lot of these big brands are using you essentially, as as I understand it, to create better engagement. And that's an area we'll definitely hit on when we get to the second segment, which is a buyer journey. But your career is wild. Like To be honest, when I first looked at your profile and saw companies like NetSuite, I thought to myself, oh, okay, she went to these big companies. But you joined a company like that along your path to CMO. Yes, in a very senior role, but at a very early stage of that company versus what we think of it today. Yeah, sure. Uh, you're right. I think it was, you know, under 5 million when I joined NetSuite. Um, I had worked with Zach Nelson, who's a great marketer for seven or eight years, you know, uh, the winding path from Oracle to um, McAfee. And sure enough, yeah, he called and said, hey, this is this cool concept. We're thinking about, you know, a full 360 customer service, you know, CRM and ERP combined. And um and said, you know, come on, you got to come on board and, and give this a shot. So those were the early days of SaaS and, and a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, for context for people just listening in, that was back in 2002 that you were with NetSuite. I'm, I'm wondering, as you said, those were early days for SaaS. What do you think were some of the defining things that you learned there at that point, though, that, have, that you kind of still look back on today? Yeah, sure. I mean, you were, we were still trying to prove out, you know, from ASPs to on-demand to SaaS. I think as vendors, we were trying to prove to people that, hey, listen, you know, it's okay. It's going to be, you know, it's safe. We've got SLAs. It's going to be uptime. You know, we marketed 99.9% uptime. There were different things that we had to market in order to gain the trust of people. And in NetSuite's case, for people to give over their financial data, into a cloud. And that seems, you know, so basic now, but it was pretty novel at the time. And then, you know, just a matter of opening up business processes and business process management and um, how you could combine software and a certain element of services to really come in at a more consultative level than I think software had ever been before. And then also just, you know, out of the IT. So, you know, business business owners making decisions about soft, uh, software and implementing them. Absolutely. No, it's interesting. It reminds me of one of my favorite books, Behind the Cloud, which you know mm-hmm. takes through you know Salesforce, which was probably around the same time. And you know, having to overcome those concerns, as you said, I think marketers still today in some of these 
businesses that are still disrupting the way we think about the old norms are still struggling with that. So I'm curious, you know, as you describe that from a SaaS perspective, from a, a, a marketing leadership, I think we often think demand gen today very often in B2B, mm-hmm. but in many cases, that sounds almost a little bit more like a product marketing or corporate marketing background that you would have needed. Yeah, sure. Again, to understand the question. Uh, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm wondering back then versus today, do you feel like the, the biggest marketing muscle you need is more product marketing minded or more demand minded? I think demand minded. Again, um, those were the days where, you know, I think Mark Benioff set the stage for investment in marketing. You know, he moved the needle and leveraged marketing to gain, you know, mass awareness of um, Salesforce and what SaaS was um, or on-demand software. And so at NetSuite, we didn't have those budgets. And so it was drafting and being crafty and figuring out, you know, how many leads per day, per rep, per month and meeting metrics and putting big posters on the, on the wall and, um, and, you know, just making it happen in um, any demand gen. We didn't have a lot of tools, you know, we didn't have a lot of automation in the way we do now. And so I would think, yeah. And then, you know, when you say product marketing, it was um, for us, it was really understanding more industries and those early days of going to market by vertical. So that was something that I had learned at Oracle that really started to play in the SaaS world and still is one of, you know, those secret tools in my pocket is, you know, make sure you've got valuable content against all of the industries. Interesting. So I, I want to like fast forward a bit through your career because we, we would need like a, a day long podcast to break down every <laughs> I know I'm here. old, Randy. I'm old. No, no. You're, <laughs> you, you've got amazing experiences, including, you know, I know you, you, we were chatting before. I mean, two companies that you've been with where, where you've seen them cross over that IPO gate. And, and I'm wondering you know, how you've seen your role need to adapt as you've gone into more senior roles and, and companies that have gone at it longer in terms of your, your time with them or their, their path to success. What was it like having to put on that, that path to IPO hat? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a, it's a fun journey for, for sure. And that's really, you know, I've learned along the way, it's a partnership with the CFO is equal to the CEO. You know, I've worked directly for CEOs for 19 years now, and and that's always a great relationship. But the relationship and the partnership with a CFO becomes critical there. And then the other, you know, key to that success, you know, sort of I call it the runway to IPO. It could be two years, it could be six months, it could be you know five years. But the absolute insistence on sales and marketing being as one. So, and then, you know, how do we look at headcount and program costs and demand generation and branding and awareness, all of those things together. So I sort of, you know, lock elbows with the CRO and say, hey, look, it's your headcount or mine. Like, let's make these decisions together. And then we together, you know, march into the CFO's office, you know, at the end or the beginning of every quarter. Those are just, you know, two elements of that sort of pre-IPO organization that um, have led to, you know, stronger successes than not. Interesting. You know, I, I can't tell you how many of our guests that we've spoken to on this podcast 
where they they align with the CFO in ways that that most of us would would think maybe it's more of a you know annual budget that the the CMO is yeah. talking to the CFO, but really as you as you described it, it's hand in hand day to day. It really is. I think it's getting to a predictable, repeatable model where you know quarter by quarter. I mean, my goal is to make sure that the CFO and I are locked on, you know, what will that earnings call look like, you know, three quarters after the IPO. Um, And you start planning that a year before the IPO. (laughs) Um, And so, you know, it's a matter of saying, you know, what is that um, machine that needs to be built that's predictable and repeatable? And, and yeah, I mean, the modeling and the framework today's CFOs, you know, especially in SaaS companies are really strategic. And so, um, I've been lucky to uh, work with some great CEOs and CFOs on that journey. So you're now, I, I believe this is your third time as a CMO at Swerve. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. I, um, head of marketing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. All right. Whatever, That's whatever that title is. Whatever that yeah. title is. Uh, <laughs> What, how is your, you know, uh, some of the guests that we've had on are, you know, maybe first time in this role or, you know, different stages of their career. What have you adapted perhaps time and time as, as you get to reset in these companies in that leadership role? Is there something, you know, maybe one example of something that's always a constant for you and one that's a big change that you try and make? Yeah, sure. I mean, way back when, I mean, I was a director when I started at Network Associates, which was McAfee. And I said to the CEO, you know, what's it going to take for me to lead marketing at this company? You know, and, and, and he said, are you serious? And I said, yes, I am. And he gave me a list of things, you know, to back into. And then sure enough, you know, I started knocking on his office door, you know, a year and a half later when I felt like I had accomplished all of them. Um, that was Bill Larson. He's a great guy. But you know, I think it's a matter of aligning marketing to revenue and, you know, earning a place at executive staff. And I think, you know, some people think, oh, well, it's these closed door meetings, executive staff, but being able to be a part of the executive staff and really understanding product and engineering and operations and HR and sales and what the founders or the CEOs and the leadership of the company, how they come together and that's really what I became more thirsty for over the years. And then, you know, as I started to realize here, I'm managing, you know, anywhere from four to 50 people. I took some time out after NetSuite and got a master's in um, leadership, um, which really helped me say, is this really what I want? Because all of a sudden you get the CMO role and you're like, whoa, wait a second, this is a lot of pressure. And and I'm hanging my hat on a lot of revenue and I'm, you know, getting my head count cut and all these different dynamics that happen along the way. And, and you're like, all right, is this really what I wanted? But in the end, I think, you know, marketing can be such a lever for growth companies that, you know, it, those, I guess those two things, you know, really looking at being part of a bigger leadership and not just saying, okay, I'm only leading marketing and trickling that down into all the areas of the company as part of executive staff. And then also, you know, the focus on revenue and making sure that I'm accountable as I move along. Tara, I love that. I, I, you know, I'll just, I'll quick anecdote on my side, which is anytime I'm interviewing another member to join our team at Uberflip, who will be part of the executive team. I ask them a question, which is how do you rally your team? 
And if they speak specifically about the team that they're overseeing, in this case, marketing, or perhaps it's finance, et cetera, but they don't also talk about the executive team, then I know that there's a problem because that's the thing that, that a lot of them forget coming in is yes, they're overseeing that team, but they're also part of and a leader within that executive team. And I think that's the huge distinction that you called out there that, it, that I, yeah, I, I, I really love how you put that. Yeah. I mean, even people, you know, some of my best relationships on executive staff have been, you know, with alliances or customer success. And one of my tricks, you know, at Coop, I hired a customer success manager, a VP from the customer success team to be my head of marketing for customer marketing. Because he'd been living through implementations for three years. <laughs> so, you know, he's the best guy to get behind a camera when you're videotaping a customer. And so, yeah, it's that cross collaboration at executive staff level down that I think, you know, makes the CMO, it makes it a, just a better experience overall. Absolutely. All right. On that note, Tara, we're going to take a, a quick break here on the marketer's journey. We'll be back beyond your career journey to explore how you craft out a buyer's journey. Want to create high converting experiences for your demand strategies that accelerate pipeline and drive revenue? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and Stantec are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies. And we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com slash journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences to drive demand. Welcome back to the marketer's journey. I've got Tara Ryan and Tara, you and I off camera or off mic, if you will, very naturally started talking about the importance of creating a journey that feels real, that feels authentic, to the buyer that we engage with today. And I, and I think this is the case for me as, as a B2C consumer, I can tell you, if it doesn't feel real, I tune out. And B2B, I mean, I'm, I'm in these buyer journeys all day long as a CMO, I'm sure you too. What is the stuff that, that captures you today? Yeah, sure. I agree, Randy. I mean, statistically, we know that, you know, even in-app experiences, if people download an app and they don't have a great experience, they delete it and they do not upload it again. I think, you know, we're in a customer experience economy that's consumer or customer driven. And so our journeys are all over the place. And I think, you know, we just can't underestimate and need to recognize that even in a millisecond, you know, in a B2B or a B2C buying journey, it's about consideration and the exchange of value. So I think about it as customer value, company value, and time to value. So like, am I providing even a millisecond something of value to Randy so that Randy is going to click through or stay with me? <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> right? Well, it's, it's funny. I, I, I've, people may have heard me speak about this, or, or I think I give this example in, in my, the book that I wrote, which is when, whenever I download an app, and you open that app for the very first time, there's this very subconscious thing that we all do. And we don't even realize it, but very quickly when we open that app and we start to set it up, we're asked a couple of questions. Can they track our location? Right, right. that's one of them. 
And can they send us notifications? And within, as you said, like a millisecond, our thumb either goes to the right or the left to allow or, or disallow. And, and that is based on our perceived expectation of value. And I think that that's something that all of us have to be aware of is that we're making these decisions. I mean, for me, Netflix, like track everything about me because I want value and I know I'll get value. I know I'll get content that's more personalized to my desires. The question is, how do we do this in a buyer journey that's a little bit more complex? How do we set that expectation in your mind? Well, yeah. And I think, you know, think about the marketing team at Netflix, you know, what a huge challenge today to manage that content and the authenticity and trust around that content, and then apply it across your journey with technology and tools and automation. And I think as marketers, we're all challenged right now with the best challenge and task ahead in, you know, this exchange of value across customer journeys. I think it's not just price and promotion anymore, right? It's uh, brand differentiation is, is based on, you know, where Randy chooses to enter that journey. He might, might go left, up, down, sideways, <laughs> and all around within my app. And then a survey may tell me how I can better serve him and 6,000 other people, you know, by tonight at midnight. And I think that that providing that value exchange is what drives revenues. It drives monetization, loyalty, lifetime value, all those things that we're taking metrics on. It's less about a campaign conversion anymore rather than it's saying, okay, it's worth me investing. I think Netflix, you know, even realized that by investing in um, the Irishman, right? That was a huge hundred million dollar bet on content, you know, but that's in a very big B2C framework. But I think even in B2B every day, I think, okay, I'd rather invest in some great content that's authentic rather than just throw multiple campaigns out at people um, and hope for, you know, a 1% or a half a percent uptick on conversion. So maybe you can give us, I mean, everything you're describing sounds like what marketers drool over accomplishing. What are some either specific tactical steps that someone could take or some real life examples that you could share of, of companies that are just doing this well? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, at Swerve, we're, uh, you know, right now I just happen to be in a, you know, B2C customer engagement platform arena where, you know, the dictate of, you know, United Airlines or, you know, Ryanair is a customer of ours. I mean, now when I'm driving on the 101, I want someone to know that I'm late for my flight. You know, I want them to accommodate and tell me where I can find better parking. I want to know, I don't want to just know what my seat is on the plane. And so it's an entire emotional connected journey and it doesn't just end there, you know, the survey after the, the airplane. And so I think opening up the doors and opening up that conversation and accepting the feedback from your consumer, and that's in a B2B, B2C perspective, in a B2B per perspective, I can't just make assumptions anymore. Like, oh, I will do this webinar. And then after the webinar, I'm going to follow up with my telemarketing. And therefore, I'm going to get, you know, 300 registrants down to 57 attendees. And of that, I'm going to get 25 that move to a stage one. It just doesn't happen that way anymore. You know, I've got prospects that are looking at my website for three weeks. And then they, you know, call me and they say, I have an RFP due in four days, right? So, right. 
that journey is so varied that I need to be really open to not having, you know, my campaign set in stone and being able to change and adapt and, um, you know, sort of work on the fly. And my entire team has to do that, which is, isn't always the way we've worked. So, you know, it's having a lot of flexibility today. So I, first of all, I love that airline example because I, I think it touches on, in, on, on a hot topic, a sensitive topic these days, which is tracking and, and privacy. But I, I think at least for myself in my day-to-day life, I'm very open to being tracked as long as, as we said earlier, value is being given in return. So I'll let you know, back to my example of opening the app, that you can track my location. But if down the road, I find that you're not taking that data and giving me value in return, well, then why are you tracking me in the first place? So I'm wondering who on your team is, more so in your B2B journey, perhaps, than, than within your product, but who in your team is orchestrating the combination of data with content because that's three different personalities. It's the demand gen and then, you know, our sales development organization or telemarketing, you know, we're sort of fused together as one. And then I think the other bridge you have to um, make very short is between for us, the sales development reps and the AEs. So um, that's where that delivery of content and experience and journey has to be so orchestrated that the prospect can't say, well, that's weird because your SDR invited me to this yesterday and you don't know that he invited me, right? right. Or you sent me that white paper and um, you don't even, you've never even read it. <laughs> right. Uh, so I think it's the, you know, it's that accountability and authenticity across every single stage. So, you know, you want the exact same script from, you know, when someone interacts with you. I do think we have tools to your point in B2B. Um, I don't want to name vendors, but, you know, we can look at surge behavioral data. So, you know, I'm a small startup, but, you know, so I don't, you know, invest thousands and thousands of dollars in AI and analytics and BI, but I do have access to SaaS tools that can tell me when a prospect is evaluating a competitor, when they quote unquote surge, right? We have behavioral sort of temperature reads. And I don't think that that is offensive at all. So, you know, Randy, if I know that you are considering a competitor and I send you, for example, a Gartner report, you know, that shows me as a leader right above them, I think that that's something where that would raise your eyebrow and say, oh, that's interesting. Absolutely. Here's here's a challenger. So I'm going to, you know, maybe go talk to them or give them 15 minutes. But if I spam you with 15 emails, you know, that are my last 15 campaigns tonight, because I saw you surge, then, then I'm just going to, you know, sort of anger you. It feels generic. It feels generic. It feels absolutely. Well, I I think this is great perspective, Tara. I I've really enjoyed learning on, on this segment. We're going to keep you around on the podcast for a few more minutes after a short break. And we're going to understand amid all these busy stops along the way, how you've managed to take a break from time to time, right back here after this break on The Marketer's Journey. All right, Tara. So we've unpacked your career journey, your buyer journey, 
a very busy journey, I'll add. How do you make time as a leader of an organization, you know, especially companies that are going through an IPO in your case, to take time for family, for friends, for yourself to take a break? How do you set that as, as an example? Yeah, thanks, Randy. <laughs> That's a good question as well as a reminder. Uh, <laughs> I can just think back this last month. Um, I guess it was last weekend. I just, you know, I think I planned the trip on a Tuesday and on Friday morning at 6 a.m., you know, took my kids to Mexico for the weekend and we were home by eight o'clock on Sunday night. So wow. concentrated capsuled time breaks, but I felt like I'd been away for a week and, you know, I, and getting away from your phone and your computer. And I like to surf and ski and, and do sports where your mind can't really do anything but the sport. And, um, so I've found in the last few years that the concentrated short breaks, um, can really refuel you. So no, I have not had any three week sojourns, <laughs> um, but lots of, lots of little weekenders and, um, and that sort of clears your mind, gets the vitamin D going. And, and then you're, uh, you're back, back at work on Mondays. There you go. Well, you know, surfing and skiing keeps keeps everyone, uh, you know, keeps you in shape because to do those sports, you you got to keep in shape leading up to them in, the, in itself. So that's I'm that's not another saying I'm good at them, but but I'll get out there and try it. <laughs> as long as as long as you can go to work the next day, you're pretty successful with either of those. Tara, uh, this has been a ton of fun. If if people want to learn more about you, follow some of your ideas. Where should they go? I think uh, LinkedIn and um, on blogs here and there and um, and podcasts like this. And I um, just really enjoy talking to other great marketers and, and sharing ideas. So thank you, Randy. Absolutely. Thank you. This has been great uh, for everyone who's tuned in to this episode of The Marketer's Journey with Tara Ryan. We thank her. We thank all the other guests who you can listen to, whether you're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, pretty much any streaming service for podcasts, we can be found. And when you can, leave us a review. Let us know what you want to hear. Until next time, this has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.